Colossians chapter 4. Lord willing, we'll wrap it up and then we'll be getting into the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Thessalonians. That's the plan anyway. God's free to change it, but we're in Colossians 4 right now. Um, We're going to just touch a couple things in verses 7 through 9 and we'll move on through the end of the chapter here. Um, We looked at the state and the estate, the state of Paul, the estate of the church, all the things that were done here. We talked about that in Money Matters um, yesterday. Now we know that there's a lot more to that than just money, but the money, as the Bible says, answereth all things. Money is something that everybody's got to have to some degree to live, whether you have money itself or whether you trade things. Um, And then in that case, the things that you're trading are the equivalent to money. So we've all got to have some things to live. And we talked about some of those practical things and some of the nuts and bolts of ministry and money, which is a difficult subject to even talk about. There's so much that goes on with it that's um, crazy, so much that it's backwards, so much that's ugly. But we talked about it. We looked at it. Um, And we looked at how Paul dealt with money. We looked at how Paul labored. We looked at how Paul was supported, um, how Paul was supported, what he did um, with the money. We talked about fundraisers. We talked about all that kind of stuff. So you can go back and pick that up if you missed it um, there in Colossians 4, 7 through 9. Today we're going to be looking primarily at the characters that are listed here, the people listed in the final verses of Colossians. It says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you. And you can just, if you're taking notes, just write out these names in a list on the right side of your paper or on the left side of your paper. And then you can make notes next to each person as we go through the teaching here. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you all, amen. Now, there's a lot in there, and we're just going to survey it, basically, and move on, not because there's a lack of content, but because that seems to be the direction that I'm getting from the Lord. And if the Lord changes that direction and has me um, dial in on something else in that passage, we will definitely do that. (coughs) Uh, Welcome back to Bible Time, by the way. Glad you're all here, and glad those of you can join us online that are online Um, Let's pray and ask God to to change our hearts through this message. Father, in Jesus' name, please change us, Lord. Please help us to be more like Jesus. Please show us, Lord, what you want us to see from this passage of Scripture today. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. (coughs) Lord, that's all we need is for you to change us more into the image of Jesus Christ. We want to be like you, and we want to please you. Please help us, Father, to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is um, this lesson. If you, um, I'm not even sure if we'll get into preaching. We'll see. Um, but the maybe just teaching today. But workers together with me is the title. Working workers together with me. And there in Colossians, we get that from um, Colossians four verse um, eleven. These only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God. So we'll edit that to um, my fellow workers. These only are my fellow workers. So these, my fellow workers is the idea. 
Now, Tychicus here in Colossians 4 is a beloved brother and a faithful minister of the word. Look at that in verse 7. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, those are some high words of commendation. The beloved brother is uh, one of the most important things that you can have in this life. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. His name is Jesus Christ. But to have a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ that walks with you, that loves you, that prays for you, um, even if he's not a fellow minister or a fellow servant, just to have a beloved brother is a powerful and wonderful thing. And we'll see that down there in Onesimus. He's a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And so, and that will be Onesimus's um, main feature there as his part as a fellow worker with Christ. Or I'm sorry, with Paul. And one of Onesimus's main jobs will be that of being a beloved brother to Paul. And so here, Tychicus, he's a beloved brother, but beyond being a beloved brother, he's become a faithful minister. Now, a faithful minister there, um, the Bible talks about being a minister of the word, but also the word minister deals with being a servant. And so... Um, the concept there is not just to minister the word, but minister to the individuals around you and to serve them with the word of God, to serve through physical serving as well. That could even be related to the waiting tables of the deacons in Acts chapter 6. So he's a fellow minister, he's a beloved brother, and then he's a fellow servant in the Lord. Um, Now, the fellow servant in the Lord implies that he is obedient to the promptings of the Lord. So here, Tychicus is a man that Paul can trust with a ministry. Paul can send Tychicus to lead a band of men um, to go and complete a task like he's doing here. Tychicus is going to take um, possibly an entourage from Paul to the church at Colossae, and he can represent Paul to a church. And Paul doesn't have to worry about what Tychicus is going to do or what Tychicus is going to say, not because he's a trainee of Paul or a follower of Paul, but because he is a fellow servant of the Lord. Now, a servant, his eyes must be on his master. The Bible says that um, in Psalms, it speaks about how the we um, our eyes are on the O Lord, is the eyes of a um, servant or upon the hand of his master as the eyes of a maid or upon the hand of her mistress so our eyes wait upon thee O Lord a servant of the Lord spends time alone with the Lord a servant of the Lord gets his orders gets his marching orders directly from the Lord but does that mean that a fellow servant in the Lord doesn't listen to anybody else and doesn't work alongside anybody else absolutely not otherwise he wouldn't be a fellow servant now if you remember Elijah in the Bible old Elijah the Tishbite who remembers Harry old Elijah And old Elijah, he was pretty much a loner. He'd tell God over and over again, um, I only am left. Even after God told him, I have reserved to me 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I don't believe um, my opinion, not Bible here, just my opinion. I don't believe Elijah ever really felt like that was the case, even though he believed God and believed God's word. He was probably asking the question, then where were they on Mount Carmel? Where were these 7,000 on Mount? Carmel how come I stood up there alone but he believed God and respected God and honored God and his word so he wasn't going to contradict God but he doubtless still felt fairly alone and then God told him go anoint Elisha to be prophet in thy room and Elijah Elijah went and he tossed his mantle on Elisha and he walked away and Elisha came running after him and he said something about going back and taking care of business real quick and Elijah said what have I done unto thee and you don't really find Elijah acting very close towards Elisha. He was pretty much a loner. And God has, God has his servants who are that kind of person. But we're talking today about fellow workers together with me. There's a lot more power in a team than a loner. Now, I remember growing up, there was a young man who could shoot hoops. He could dribble the ball, playing basketball. He could, he could do circles around people. He could shoot from anywhere on the court. He could shoot fading right, fading left, fading back, jumping forward, layups, free 
throws, three-pointers. He could shoot. He could dribble. He could do it all. And he got so confident in his skill in basketball because he would beat people over and over again in, 20, in, in one-on-one games that whenever they got together to play a game five-on-five, five, he was absolutely useless. Now, if you were playing a bunch of people that didn't know how to play basketball, he would play one-on-five and beat them. And he could do that regularly, but whenever you got in a group of people that knew how to play basketball, five on five, his team would inevitably lose terribly. And the reason was that he didn't know how to be a fellow worker. He didn't know how to work together with the other people on his team. He was so confident in his own powers and his own abilities to take the ball to the basket and that he expected to win without the help of other people. And he did not value the other people on the team enough to give them the ball. It was too risky. They might, uh, they might lose the ball. It might get stolen from them. They might miss a shot that he would make. Do you hear me today? They might not do it as good as he would do it. So he was unwilling to risk the ball in the hands of anybody else on the team. And anytime he got into a real game of basketball, he became absolutely useless. Now, that did change eventually. After he lost enough games, he began to value other people and learn to and learn to play with some teamwork and to pass the ball some. I mean, once you start getting triple teamed every game and your whole team is shut down, well, you stand there, um, frankly, looking pretty stupid, getting the ball stolen from you every time it gets in your possession because you won't pass it. You might start to learn something, and we don't want to be that way today, do we? So God here is showing us in his word that the Apostle Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, the one who smote Elamus the sorcerer by the power of the word of God with blindness so that that man could not even see and walked around asking someone to lead him by the hand. The man that had more power with God than people even try to claim today had a team. He had people around him. He had people in front of him. He had people behind him, going before him, coming up behind him. He had people on the flanks. He had people on the sides. And notice how he did not lord it over them and act like he was the big shot. He calls Tychicus a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, giving Tychicus a place of equal honor next to him. Now, who in the world is Tychicus? How many of you have read the epistle of Tychicus? Huh? You didn't because it's not in the Bible. And if there, if somebody ever comes up with one, don't waste your time with it because it's not the word of God. Tychicus was not one of the 12 apostles. He was not given the apostolic authority that was unique to the apostles of the Lamb, the hand-picked apostles chosen by Jesus Christ himself to give us the revelation of the New Testament in writing to be preserved by the Holy Ghost, inspired by the Holy Ghost and preserved by the Holy Ghost, and then over seen even in translation by the Holy Ghost down through the ages and those words that we have faithfully preserved by the Holy Ghost today in our authorized version Bible, the only English translation of the Bible. The rest of them are edited and abridged copies of translated works of different texts. They don't even use the same text that the King James Bible was used, which is the received text. The scriptures that were passed down from generation to generation through the church of Jesus Christ, attacked and hated by false churches, burned everywhere they could get their hands on them, but nevertheless preserved by the Holy Spirit. So Paul the Apostle, who's writing the letter to the church at Colossae, Paul the Apostle, who rebuked the Apostle Peter openly and tells that story in the book of Galatians, Paul the Apostle, with all of his power and all of his um, understanding and revelation of the truth of God, here calls Tychicus a fellow servant in the Lord. And he's saying here that Tychicus has not only the liberty as part of Paul's evangelistic band to mind 
God and do what God tells him to do, but that Paul respects the fact that Tychicus has faithfully not only been faithful to the content of the word of God, but faithful to the direction of the Holy Spirit of God and that he can trust Tychicus to go where he's supposed to go, do what he's supposed to do and say what he's supposed to say. And he doesn't have to walk around checking everything that he does. Now, this whole hierarchy concept that we get in churches where we have bishops ruling over pastors and all this kind of stuff is absolutely unfound in Scripture. You cannot find it. If you think you can, send me an email with the Bible verses that you are using, and I'd be happy to, um, as, as time permits, I'd be happy to look at those verses in their context with you. But as far as I have ever found, and I have made my life, um, my life is devoted to the study of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God, and I thank God for that opportunity, and I have never found such a place in Scripture where there is a hierarchy where people go around checking on other preachers. We touched on this. Um, we touched on this some um, in the in the message about all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you money matters about how there is not a hierarchy of reporting. If you cannot trust a minister of the gospel to faithfully preach the gospel, don't support him. If you have to constantly check on him, if you have to constantly know everything he's doing, if you have to watch over all of his methods and count the heads in his building and go make sure he's got enough gospel tracks out and check on his methods all the time and analyze his doctrine and check every word that he says, then just don't support him. Go find somebody you can trust and back him up. And that's kind of along the lines of what we were talking about yesterday. Paul here is saying Tychicus is someone that I I trust with the ministry, somebody that I trust with the churches that God has allowed me to have a part in forming, someone I trust to send to relate my state, someone I trust to send to give a report of the work that God is doing, not for your analyzation, but for your prayers. I don't even know if analyzation is a word, but it worked for what we were doing. Now he says, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now Onesimus, you can write down beside him, a faithful and beloved brother. That's what he was. And that's all Paul said he was. So Onesimus here, he's not a preacher. He's not a pastor. He's not an evangelist. He's not an apostle. He's not, a, uh, he's not any of those things. He's not a prophet. He's just a faithful and beloved brother. And here what we're doing today is we look Look through Paul's evangelistic team. We're getting a rundown of Paul's evangelistic team. And as we look at this team that was at that point organized uh, um, amongst these men and these names that we're going to look at, we're going to see different people, different jobs, different works, different emphases, but we're going to see a theme of brotherly love and faithfulness throughout. And what I want you to be doing, if you will, is to be asking God, where do I fit in? What is the work that you have? for me what's what purpose can I fulfill because there is work for everybody do you remember the context here in this chapter of redeeming the time walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time we don't have time to play hierarchy games. We don't have time to climb corporate ladders in churches and ministries. We don't have time to waste with politicking and a bunch of um, analyzing of each other and trying to figure out um, if somebody said the right word in the right place. He said of, and he should have said thee. He must be a heretic. We don't have time for that junk. We've got to get past that, and we've got to focus on the gospel and move on. What's your spot? What's your place? What does God want you to be doing? What can you do? Here's Onesimus. We're not going to study him in detail, but we can study him out more than anybody else in this whole list. Did you know that? All he is is a faithful and a beloved brother. When we get to the book of Philemon, if the Lord tarries and allows it, we'll study Onesimus a whole lot more because he has a whole book of the Bible written about him. And Philemon, the man who was once his master and he was the servant of Philemon, Philemon got a whole epistle written to him and he's not even a church. He's an individual. He's the only lay person I'm aware of that got an epistle written to him in the Bible. 
Timothy got, a, got two epistles. Titus got an epistle. But aside from that, you have groups of people like the Hebrews. You have churches like Colossae and Thessalonica and Corinth getting epistles. But Philemon got an epistle. And he got an epistle about a man named Onesimus. A whole epistle. You can, you can learn more about Onesimus than any other man listed in this list that Paul gives here in Colossians of team members of, of his. Now, there are some facts about some of the other people on there that you can pick up through Scripture, but none of them got a whole epistle written about them. And Onesimus, get, this is where I'm going. Pay attention. This is where God would have us go. He was a faithful and beloved brother. That's all he was. Paul didn't call him a fellow minister. He didn't call him a fellow servant. He was a faithful and beloved brother. He was just a Christian. Just, a, just following Jesus. Just a nobody. He had nothing that warranted any kind of special, um, which the word there, approbation, would mean um, praiseworthiness. He didn't have any kind of special praiseworthiness that, that Paul would mention here. Just a faithful and beloved brother. But guess what? That's some pretty special praise. Just to be a faithful and beloved brother is special. If you're nothing else today, you're something. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you love his appearing, you're waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ, you love his word, and you're trying your best just to read your Bible, you're trying to go to church, you're trying to be involved, you want to help out with missions and ministry any way you can, but you're not sure what to do. So whenever you go with a group and they're, and they're preaching the gospel, you just kind of stand there awkwardly smiling with your hands in your pockets, and you're just there. And maybe you see somebody's thirsty and you get them a bottle of water. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're just there. But you're there. And you're there today. And you're there tomorrow. And you're there the next day. And you're there the next day. And you're there the next time the church has an event. And you're there the next time the church doors are open. And you're there. And you might sit in the corner. You might be back in the background in the shadows. But you're there. And it matters. Do you hear me today? You might not think that you're anybody special, but if you're a faithful and beloved brother, which would include in a generality being a faithful and beloved sister, if that's what you are, you're valuable. And Paul took the time to call out Onesimus specifically as a faithful and beloved brother and gave him a spot right next to Tychicus in the credits when he rolled them. How about that? This is the roll credits, Paul's evangelistic band, rolling credits at the end of Colossians. These guys are my fellow workers. They've helped produce this production. Oh, I know that is, that's going to curl some of y'all's nose hairs. But this is, a, this is not a production. It's an epistle. The Holy Spirit inspired it. I understand that. What I'm saying is at the end of this Holy Spirit-inspired epistle, at the end of this thing, Paul lists the men who are fellow laborers with him, fellow workers with him, and here in that list, after Tychicus, a fellow servant of the Lord, is Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. What are you today? Are you a Tychicus? Are you an Onesimus? <coughs> Excuse me. He also sends salutations here from Aristarchus. Aristarchus, he gives the credit of being my fellow prisoner, my fellow prisoner. Now, <coughs> um, Peter's pretty clear that if you get, if you suffer for your own stupidity's sake, there's no glory in it. But if the, if you suffer for the name of Christ, then the spirit of glory and of Christ resteth upon you. And there is a special reward for those that suffer for Christ. I remember a story about the, a man who lived in a territory controlled by militant Muslims, and he was a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he would talk to people about his personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't remember his name or where he was from. If I did, I probably wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say it. Anyway, the... Um, this man was sharing the gospel with people as he met them, as it came up, and he had opportunity. And some people got wind of the fact that they now had a Christian in their midst, and they were pretty upset with that. Now, the world uses the Christian so broadly, I hate to even use the word. I try and stay away from it. 
the word Christian was assigned, get this closely, was assigned to Bible-believing Christians by the lost heathens in Antioch, when at Pisidia, there just to the north of Jerusalem, um, and that's what the book of Acts says. They were called Christians first in this place. The word Christian is acknowledged by the Bible as a term that the world uses for Christians. It's not a bad word, but the world is not very careful in distinctives. The world doesn't care about distinctives. The world doesn't care about fundamentals of the faith. The world doesn't care about whether or not somebody is really a Christian as far as a Bible definition. They just apply that term to anybody that has a cross or a picture of Jesus or claims any kind of affinity to the Jesus of Nazareth, whether they believe that he is God in the flesh, whether they obey his word, whether they follow him or not. The world just basically classifies people Christian that have some kind of some kind of worldly, even historical respect for Christ, even if they're not followers of Jesus Christ. So I kind of shy away from the word because of its extreme generality. It doesn't really mean anything specific. You can be a Christian to a Muslim, and that means that you have a red cross on your shirt, and you just kissed the Pope's ring and got commanded by the Pope to go butcher Muslims. And that's not a Christian according to the word of God. And neither is the man that authorized that mass slaughter. The Pope himself was not a Christian. Biblically, the Pope right now is not a biblical Christian. And I don't say that against him. I just say that he's unscriptural. He doesn't believe the Bible. He doesn't follow the Bible. So if you want to call him a Christian, go for it. But if he's a Christian, I'm probably not. Because we don't see anything alike. I, I believe the Bible, and he does not. He believes the dogmas of the church, number one. The doctrines of the church, number two. Number three, the teachings of the church. And somewhere down in the historical annals of antiquity is that dusty old book, the Bible, that he is free to chop up and change at will. So we have completely different um, a completely different faith, not even of the same faith. So here we have Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, and we ran a rabbit there. Lord, help me to stay on task. Onesimus, he's just a, a faithful and beloved brother, somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's there. And we ask the question, are you there? Uh, brother Danny Douglas preached a message, I think, are you there? I can't remember. It sounds seems like it. In any case, Onesimus was there. Aristarchus, his fellow prisoner, that's what we were talking about. Aristarchus, his fellow prisoner, had suffered for the name of Christ, had been jailed by the name of Christ. Give him another few hundred years, and it would have been the Pope that jailed him while we're, while we're chasing that rabbit, because the Pope jailed followers of Christ. All the Popes have, as much as they can, authorized the persecution of followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not picking on them. I'm just stating a historical fact. You can look it up or you can get mad, but um, I hope you'll look it up and keep an open mind to truth. In any case, the Onesimus here and then Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner, and um, that is a high honor. Aristarchus is not mentioned as a preacher. He's not mentioned as a pastor. He's not mentioned as a missionary. He's not mentioned as any of those things. Aristarchus is mentioned as a fellow prisoner. So that means that Aristarchus might have just been a faithful brother who was there. Maybe he was standing beside the Apostle Paul whenever they came and grabbed Paul and threw him in prison, and they just happened to grab Aristarchus and drag him along with them. We don't know the story. The Bible doesn't tell us how Aristarchus went to jail, but he went to jail with Paul. They were jailbirds together. And he could have got all upset. Paul, you got me in jail. I wasn't saying all that stuff. I wasn't making oh mad. You're the one that was preaching. Why am I in jail with you? But he didn't. He was a fellow prisoner. Even in his bonds for the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was Paul's fellow, Paul's friend. He associated with Paul. He stuck with Paul through the suffering, through the hard times. It's good to be a faithful and beloved brother. It's a whole nother thing to be a fellow prisoner, to go through the hard times, to suffer with someone for the cause of Christ and to not be embittered, but to be, to continue as their friend. Lord help us today. It says here, um, Marcus, sister, son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandment, 
if he come unto you, receive him. So Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, would be uh, Barnabas's nephew. And here is the new guy. Are you the new guy? Here's the new guy. Marcus doesn't have a, a reputation yet. But Paul says of, of Marcus, he says, of whom, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. So Marcus has been checked out by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul has observed him enough to say, I'm telling you to receive him. He didn't say listen to him preach. He didn't say give him pulpit time. He didn't say follow his directions. But he said receive him. And this is the basis of church referrals. And this is absolutely um, pivotal for the early church that whenever a Christian would go from one place to another, they would carry with them, if they had to move for work or something, they would carry with them a letter of recommendation to the next church in the next city so that that church would know that they were a faithful and beloved brother and they didn't have to start from scratch and get in on the edge and be observed and watched and all this. They could have a recommendation stating this is, this is someone who doesn't cause trouble. This is somebody who's learning about the Lord. This is somebody we should receive and walk alongside. A new guy. Are you a new guy? Are you new to the faith? Are you a Marcus? Have you just gotten saved? Are you trying to figure this out? Are you trying to get your feet underneath you? Are you trying to get your boots on? Are you greenhorn in the faith? Don't know much, but you want to know more? Um, there's a place for you here. And even in Paul's team, there was place for the greenhorn. Now beyond church, he's with Paul's team. And there's place for you. You say, I'm a rookie. I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I've never been on the street with a tract in my hand. I've never gone anywhere to talk to people about the Lord. I've never been in a tent ministry. I've never done any of that kind of stuff. But God being my helper, I want to try. I want to get my feet wet. I want to get involved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Get involved. There's a place for you on Paul's team. There was a place for Marcus. And wherever God leads you to get involved, find a good Bible believer, somebody who they don't listen. Don't look for seminary. Don't look for denomination. Look for somebody who honors and respects and reveres the word of God and get with them and back them up and help them. And even if that means you go out there and stand there with your hands in your pockets and don't even do anything but smile and stand next to the guy while he ministers, do it. It's good. Do you hear me today? It's good. It's good to be the new guy. Everybody's got to be the new guy sometime. And if you don't start out being the new guy, you'll never be a Tychicus. How do you ever become a Tychicus? You can go from being a Marcus to an Onesimus. You can be an Aristarchus. That's pretty easy. Just be the new guy standing by the preacher when he gets nabbed by the police for legally preaching the gospel. You say, that doesn't happen in America. Oh, boy. That has happened everywhere in the world since Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. Anywhere a preacher preaches the gospel, he is in danger of being hauled to prison for preaching the gospel because the devil hates it. And you might just get grabbed and thrown in jail with him, and then you get to be an Aristarchus. Look at that. Who are you today? And if you stay with the preacher and you keep on ministering the gospel, God will work and maybe someday you'll be a Tychicus. This isn't a ladder to climb. This is just what happens to people who are faithful and beloved brethren and stick around guys like the Apostle Paul. Do you hear me? It's what happens. You grow. You advance, you learn, you get experience, and next thing you know, you're out there leading your own band, and that's not something to get all starry-eyed about. If you think that that's what it's all about, and you're just waiting for promotion, you have another spirit in you. This is about getting the gospel out, getting the gospel out any way that we can. We ought to all be willing to be the Marcus on the team. We ought to all be willing to be the guy with nothing but a letter of referral, the new guy walking into camp, unrecognized recognized, un, unhonored, unflattered, unpraised, unpaid, unanything, just there and glad to be there and trying to do whatever we can do to get the gospel out. Time is short and we don't have time for politics. Go to verse 11 and Jesus, which is called justice. So this guy has um, two names, Jesus, which is called justice. I wonder if they didn't do that, call him justice to differentiate between him and their Lord. In amongst Bible-believing people, it's rare to find anybody 
with the name of Jesus because his name is held in such high respect. Now, there will be close derivatives to that, but um, never the exact name. Almost never, unless they got saved out of some other um, cultic Christian religion where Jesus is nothing but a mere man. Now, it says here, these are only are my fellow workers, justice here, it says, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So these guys and um, their justice at the least was of the circumcision, which means what? He was a Jew. That's right. So here, here he was a man, which makes sense. Jesus is a Jewish name, and he was of the circumcision, and he was one of Paul's fellow workers and a comfort unto Paul. Fellow workers unto the kingdom of God and a comfort unto Paul. The Bible says two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Christ sent out his workers two and two. He sent out two apostles at a time. And by the way, he sent them out with equal authority. They were both of them under Christ, each of the pairs. Both of the men in a pair were under Christ directly with, as far as we can tell, equal authority. We see James and John going to the temple, uh, or I'm sorry, Peter and John going to the temple to pray about the ninth hour in Acts chapter 4. And you don't find one of them lording it over the other one, but you do find that Peter was the chief speaker. And so there was a tendency for that. But there wasn't some kind of hierarchy in politicking. Go to verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. So he's mentioned men that are directly on his team. And now he's mentioning another preacher who's there with him from the place at which he is writing this letter from his place of bonds. And Epaphras, he lists, as a fellow servant. A servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now, whatever kind of servant of the Lord you are, whether you, and the Bible gives us the five offices, we're not going to teach on that right now. Um, The fact that the 12 apostles are the only 12 apostles that there are, and you cannot be one of the 12 apostles, but you can operate in in the ministerial, evangelistic, the missionary type of work that an apostle did but that doesn't make you a 12 apostle, somebody that has the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God to new revelation. All that stuff's a bunch of rot. It's a bunch of fakeness. It's a bunch of chicanery. But as far as a man going out, taking the epistles and the gospels and taking the gospel to another region where Christ is not preached, uh, that man is operating in a functional ministerial um, gifting or office of apostle to that area in the sense that he is sent, but in no way having the revelation power to reveal scripture and not designed by God to have any authority. I said, we're not going to study on it. I'm trying not to get on a rabbit trail. Let me just throw pitch this to you. Somebody that walks into an established church and wants them to give him space and give him the chief seat and submit to him as some kind of authority of God, because he says he's an apostle, doesn't even know what the Bible means by apostle. He has some word that he doesn't understand and he's made himself a duct tape name badge and stuck it on his shirt pocket and he's walking around like a cock in a hen house acting like he's the chief rooster and he doesn't even know what God's talking about and it's fake and we're moving on. Do you hear me? Don't you go following people when they walk up, I'm an apostle. You get away from that stuff. They're liars. I've never Never, never, never seen anything else. Now, the pastors, the teachers, the prophet, which means a preacher. By the way, you can be a preacher and not be an evangelist. You can be a preacher and not be a pastor. You can be a preacher and not be an apostle. You can be a preacher that's just a preacher. A prophet in the New Testament is one that takes the finished written word of God and proclaims it to the nations with a special degree. A gift anointing on him to use the word of God to pierce the hearts of his hearers. Um, a prophet just has an extra measure of an ability to preach the word of God. 
That's what that is. Now, again, we're not trying to teach on that. Um, we can support all that from Scripture, and if we get there, when we get there, we'll study it out. So every preacher, whatever his office, needs godly men around him. You are not designed to operate as a one-man show. Look at me today. None of you here are designed by God to operate as a one-man or one-woman show. We all of us need other people. Here's this book of Colossians, and Paul has written this letter to the church at Colossae, and at the end of it, he lists out all of these names, five names directly on his band, and then he's going to list four more names, and then finally list a, a tenth man at the end of the fourth chapter of Colossae. He spends almost a quarter of the entire epistle talking about the people that God had sent him with, and that is significant, because the real Christianity, true faith in Jesus Christ, makes you a fisher of men. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you, a, make you fishers of of men. It doesn't make you a collector of revenue from a bunch of religious people. It doesn't make you some kind of big shot that runs around lording it over people. It makes you a fisher of men. And the true ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ is about people. And a true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ cares about people. And the true effect of a true ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ it builds up People. This is about people. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And what are sinners? They're people. A puppy dog can't sin. It doesn't have a conscience. And it doesn't have law that God has given it to sin against. It has instincts. It has the ability to have some kind of puppy soulish emotions. But it has no spirit. I know I've lost half of you already. Um, out there in this puppy-loving world that we have in worshiping dogs instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the puppy doesn't have an eternal spirit. And the ministry of Jesus Christ is not to pooches. It's to people. Jesus Christ, as I said the other day, came to save people, not pooches. And the ministry of Jesus Christ is about people, and it needs people. Now, the religions of the world build multi-level marketing schemes. I know this is some more brass tacks today. Hang with me and hold on. The religions of this world are all multi-level marketing schemes, also known as Ponzi schemes. The biggest Ponzi schemes in our nation are denominations. Do you hear me today? The denominational headquarters is one of the biggest Ponzi schemes you'll ever run across. They have some kind of unbiblical benefits that they prescribe and they use that to lord it over churches. They build up their seminaries and teach men their distinctives, their doctrines, their ideas, their teachings, the teachings of men instead of the Bible. And then they send out a bunch of cookie cutter um Chocolate soldiers, to borrow a phrase from, a, from an old preacher, they send out a bunch of mealy-mouthed wimps out into the ministry that aren't going to do anything but say what the denomination tells them to say or they're going to get kicked out of the denomination. And they've got the churches also bought into this that the churches a lot of times will sign over their property to the denomination. And then if the church somehow breaks out of the mold of man's religion and gets revived by the power of God, the denomination will swoop in and take everything they have. And they'll put another cookie cutter um, preacher in there that's a hireling that doesn't know God at all. And they'll start over building it back up with a bunch of um, dead in their trespasses and sins, false converts. That's the standard operation of denominationalism. And what's that? The root of it is money. It's all about money, 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 money. Big money. By the way, a lot of our mission societies, and God knows I love missions and I love you, and if you're part of a mission society, I'm not against you, and there's a lot of good work that goes on through mission societies, but a lot of our mission societies have turned into Ponzi schemes. They're just MLM groups, and you can go join the MLM club and run around and sell religion to people, and if they buy it, you advance in the organization, and if they don't buy it, you sit there half broke trying to make it, and it's all about money, 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 money. 
And that's not God. God's work is about people, not buildings. God's work is about people, not leatherback chairs and mahogany tables and well-lit conference rooms. God's work is about people, not limousines and beautiful vehicles to drive and all this kinds of stuff. Some of the greatest ministries that have ever existed have been done from a suitcase and a hotel room. And you know that's right. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to a ministry is for it to get enough money to be comfortable. Now, we all want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable, but God knows if I can handle it, and he knows if I can't. And I don't want to be comfortable at the expense of the ministry that God has called me to. The ministry is about people, not comfort. Do you hear me today? It's about people. Well, here's Epaphras. Now, he's not listed as one of Paul's evangelistic band. He says, he is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect, complete, in all the will of God. Now, Epaphras is also mentioned in the book of Philemon. He's mentioned as being among the church at Colossae in the book of Philemon. And that was apparently written before this. So sometime after the book of Philemon was written, Epaphras has now migrated to where Paul is for whatever reason. Perhaps it is to join um, Paul's evangelistic band that he is there. So here he is always laboring fervently for you in prayers. In prayers. Ah, prayers not work. Well, tell that to Epaphras. Tell that to the Apostle Paul. Here's a man whose primary job was praying. Did you know that no ministry can function without prayers? Did you know that churches cannot function without prayers? We're asking the question, where do you fit in today? There are some people that God will take and, and, and break and bring them to a point where they have absolutely nothing to offer the church but to sit there and pray, and he does it on purpose. And we all go, I don't know if I want to be that guy. Well, you better be glad God does it to some guys and to some ladies. Did you know some of the most powerful Christians in a church are the old widows? I'm serious. They've got nothing left to offer but prayers. They've got no strength. They often have no money, no finances to give. They often have no resources. And all they've got left is to sit there, barely making ends meet, and read their Bibles and pray. And if that's who you are, then God bless you. And that's a valuable part of every ministry and of every church. It's a part without which the ministry will not go forward. So here is Epaphras laboring fervently in prayers for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. The revivals in the Isle of Lewis were started not by the pastor, humanly speaking. Obviously, God brought revival to the Isle of Lewis. You can go look it up. Go to sermonindex.net, I think it is. Um, you can just Google it. Sermon Index. Use that abomination Google. Anyway, Sermon Index, and you can find Duncan Campbell and, um, interviews about the revival on the Isle of Lewis. I encourage you to look it up. It'll do you good. <clears throat> Those old ladies there in the, on the island, two old blind widows, prayed down the revival, if you would allow me to use that term. I know technically you don't pray down a revival. God sends the revival. But there's always the human side and God's side. And if you want to pick at it, you can pick at it. But those two old ladies were burdened by God for the situation on their island. And they got together and started praying. And they prayed zealously. And they prayed fervently. And they prayed long hours of the night away, seeking God for revival. And God transferred their burden to the other people in the church. And from there, God sent revival. And if you're one of these prayer warriors like Epaphras, you are doing God's service. You are needed. You do matter. I remember an old widow who was a prayer warrior that I knew. And I I mentioned her the other day who would weep that she was not able to share the gospel with the boldness that she wished that she had. And this was at 90. Uh, how old was that? 91 or 92 years of age, um, barely able to get around and weeping because she couldn't share the gospel with people like she wanted to share the gospel with them. And that ought to put conviction in your heart right there. But then she 
would sit and spend long hours in prayer and she wouldn't brag about it, but it was evident. She didn't even tell me that. It was just obvious that that's what she did. And she spent long hours in prayer for the people around her, for her loved ones, for her family, for her church. And God honored those prayers time and time again. Um, and I thank God for her. I could, I could list um, times where God supernaturally altered the direction physically that I was going, I believe, in part through this woman's prayers. I was going to do one thing, and I might have been able to do it, but she prayed me the other way. And it wasn't because I wanted to go that way, but it was because she was praying that way. And she'd tell me, I'm praying this way. And I'd say, well, that's fine. You go on and pray, but I got to mind God. And pretty soon here comes God. Go that way. I'm telling you, prayer is powerful. And we need prayer warriors. Here's Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician. Now, Luke was a writer. Luke was the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He was apparently Paul's constant companion in travel. And God's going to send some writers along. We need some writers. Luke was a writer that God used and inspired to um, put down the inspired accounts of Christ that were authenticized. Uh, however you say that word, by the apostles themselves, again, giving the authority of the canon of Scripture through the apostles. You say, how do we know this Bible's right? There's a question. How do we know this Bible's right? The authority of the apostles, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's how we know this Bible's right. And that's why people get so upset whenever you run around trying to showboat as an apostle. Because they know full well that what you're doing is try to usurp the authority of Christ and his word. And that's why we're not going to let that stuff fly. Now, <coughs> Luke, though not an apostle, was a writer. And he wrote many writings and acts of the apostles that were verified and authorized by the apostles and it became canonized in the scriptures. So praise God for Luke. We need some writers. He was also a physician. He would um, work as a doctor. We need some doctors. You know, Christians still get sick. I love my brothers in Christ who believe in healing. I believe in healing too. James says um, that you can be healed. We're not going to jump that rabbit. We don't have time running out of time but there were people sick all over Paul's whole missionary journeys you read the book of Acts you read his epistles and he's got people sick he left that I forget that one guy's name he left him in Miletus sick <clears throat> I don't remember maybe you remember his name but there were sick people all around Paul Paul himself had a thorn in the flesh that he besought Christ thrice to be removed and Christ would not remove it but remove it but said my grace is sufficient not every sickness is to be healed God gives some sicknesses for his glory some sicknesses for death and some sicknesses for chastening to change people and you can't just up and heal every sickness that comes along if you say you can then go to the hospital and turn them all out on the streets free and well and do it free of charge moving on so Demas um, greets you. So Demas here gets a mention alongside of Luke. Now here's this guy we need to just take a minute on and we'll move on. But old Demas, later Paul would say, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Are you a Demas today? Are you a Luke, an Aristarchus, a Tychicus? Who are you today? What's your place? Are you an Epaphras, a prayer warrior? Are you a Demas? Now old Demas, he was a fence rider. He went with Paul. He stood with Paul. He, he, was, he backed up Paul. Paul's ministry, but he had secret longings in his heart after the world. You say, how can you judge his heart? You can't see his heart. No, I can see his fruit. And his fruit that he bore ultimately exposed his heart because from the heart proceed adulteries, fornication, theft, all these manner of sins according to Christ. And Demas forsook Paul and according to Paul's own words, having loved this present world. It got too hot for Demas. He was riding the fence. Where are you at today? If that's you, it's going to get too hot for you pretty quick. It'll get there. 
If you're a Demas, you will forsake the ministry. You will forsake the church. If you love this world, you will walk away from the word of God and the church of God and the ministry of God if you love this present world. That's what Demas did. He was on Paul's team. He was right there with him, but he wasn't going to last. Sadly, Demas would forsake the apostle Paul. Isn't that sad? Walk away from the Apostle Paul, having loved this present world. He says, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. We've got one more name to get to. We're moving as fast as we can here. Try and keep this within an hour. And he says, um, um, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. So here's a whole church in the town of Laodicea. He says, and Nymphus. Now, I didn't list Nymphus you could put down Nymphus as an 11th um, person mentioned here, but not on Paul's band, and the church which is in his house. So here's Nymphus, who whether he is the servant-minded individual that gave freely to the church of Laodicea and allowed them to meet in his house, perhaps he had, um, was of more, had more physical wealth than some of the others and had more space maybe, but he was allowing them to meet in the house. And Paul said to salute Nymphus. Maybe he was, uh, maybe it wasn't that nice of a house. Maybe he was the preacher. We don't know. But he saluted the brethren in Laodicea and Nymphus. And you say, well, I'm not part of an evangelistic team. I just am one of the brethren in a Laodicean church somewhere. Well, there's lots of um, people in that condition. Because we're living in the Laodicean age. And if you're a brother in the Laodicean church, Paul's not against you. He's for you. Just keep reading your Bible. Keep following God. If the church departs from the faith, you're going to have to leave the church. But until then, stick with it and pray and do everything you can and back up the people that are there. Listen, if you're looking for a perfect church to be part of, you might as well just throw in the towel and home church by yourself the rest of your life. Because you're the only person that you're ever going to agree with fully. You're the only person you're ever going to get along with every day. And if you go home church it by yourself long enough, you might find yourself disagreeing with yourself. But in any case, these, these were the brethren in Laodicea. And this church got called out by Jesus Christ as being a very carnal church in his letters in Revelation. Yet Paul saluted them and honored them as brethren. And he commanded that this epistle be read in the church. Let's read it there. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now the epistle from Laodicea, we don't have time to chase this rabbit. I'll just mention it. It's not in the canon of Scripture, and it's not for a reason. You see, the carnal mind thinks that if Paul could write Bible, everything Paul wrote should be Bible, and that's baloney. Paul said, the good that I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that do I. Paul openly admitted that not everything he did was of God. And so not everything Paul wrote was of God. And if God had wanted the epistle to Laodicea in the Bible, it would be there. And by the way, if they come up with an epistle to Laodicea, which they doubtless will, somebody's going to find it. It may take them a while to get it all put together and falsified just right so that it looks like the real deal. But once they get that finished and get it launched to the masses and make their millions off the epistle to Laodicea, just let it be known right now in advance that this is one humble preacher who will not even even read the book and won't even take time to listen to their junk and jargon. I've got my 66 books of the Bible and I'm satisfied. Now we move on and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. This is the last man mentioned by Paul in the book of the Colossians. His name is Archippus and he's a man who has received a ministry in the Lord and Paul is exhorting him to take heed to it and fulfill it. Is that you today? Maybe there's something God has laid on your heart, something you know God wants you to do, something that's been deep in your spirit that God's been stirring you about, and you haven't done it. And you're still waiting, and you may be waiting for good reason. You may be waiting because God hasn't opened the door. God hasn't provided the opportunity. But he says to him, take heed and fulfill it. And there's going to come a time when God opens the door. And when God opens the door, you better go through it. You better be ready. You better take heed to the ministry that you receive from the Lord. Heard a message on that once. It was a good message from a brother um, who's a missionary in Africa. And I thank the Lord for him. Um, and he preached a whole message just on that. It was a, it was a, I think it was like a 
Sunday school style message, about 45 minutes, if I remember right, that he preached just on that. And that's and it can be preached on quite a lot. Uh, we're going to move on. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. So he signed it from the Apostle Paul. He exhorted them to remember his bonds. And that's for many purposes. One purpose to remember Paul's bonds is that he wanted to be remembered because he was a weak man. The Apostle Paul was a saint just like the Corinthian carnal believers were saints. He had a body of death, a flesh. And that saint, the Apostle Paul, did the things he wouldn't do and wouldn't do the things that he should do. And he needed grace. And he was in bonds. And he wanted to be remembered and he asked prayer. He also said, remember my bonds that the church would take heart and remember that if you're the Apostle Paul and you get thrown in jail for the gospel of Christ, how much more can we also expect to get thrown in jail for the testimony of Jesus Christ? And don't let it shake you when it happens. Just keep fighting and persevere. Who are you today? Who are you today? We've talked today about the um, fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which had been a comfort to Paul. Fellow workers. Who are you today? Are you on the team? Are you in the church? Are you there? Are you the faithful brother? I ask you just to examine yourselves and ask the Lord where you are, where you should be, and get there. Thank you for your time. Father, bless this message in Jesus' name. Amen.